So, oh, we started this new series called Spark. Spark has to do when faith comes alive. We're going to take the early part of the summer, just a couple of months we're going to do. I'm actually going to be, um, you know, see, seeing it as a kind of connection to where we've been. Some of you are aware that coming off of Easter, we had this incognito series. We talked about Jesus and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and how he talked to them. And they said, did not our hearts, hearts burn within us when he opened to us the scriptures? And so working off of this idea of our hearts burning, we're talking about this idea of spark. And when faith begins to emerge in us in a way that begins to compel us to want to respond. So we're talking about what happens when our hearts are stirred, when there's something that sort of begins to grow, um, something that just begins to get a flame starts to emerge, and we feel compelled to sort of respond to it. And so we're going to sit with that. I, I'm actually opening up the series. I'm going to do it for two weeks. I have, a, And then after that, we're going to be hearing from different pastors in our church and different communicators coming in that are familiar to our community. And they're going to be sharing as well on this and getting different perspectives. But the way I'm approaching it for this week and the next is a little two-part piece on a very unique figure that is relatively obscure in the Older Testament. Um, his story is found in a book that, that usually people don't read too much uh, because the book of Chronicles is not exactly the well-known uh, book to go to. It's not, it's not like Corinthians in the New Testament. It's an Older Testament book. And if you notice, and you could, if you have your, your hand out or if you have your Bible, your Bible app, you can look at that as well. But you'll notice that First Chronicles, I put these two little, I put verse 1, verses 7 through 8. You can see the sons of Judah were Perez, Herzon, Carmi, Hirsch. You know what the first nine chapters essentially are? Genealogies. So-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so who begat. So um, a lot of times when people are doing reading through the Bible, it's like this is where you get into deep slog, right? It slows down in the genealogies. But every now and then um, in these sort of lists, it's sort of like walking through a graveyard, really, right? And... I don't know if you've ever, actually, I've learned some things going through, walking in a graveyard every now and then. I, I look at something that's written, something, a phrase that said, it reminds me a lot of the, van, the brevity of life, actually. And uh, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. We, we, um, we're here for but a short while. Our life is but a vapor, comparatively speaking. That should challenge us to think about how we're living and remember what real priorities should be. A lot of times we get stuck in places, bogged down, we lose a sense of what's really important. Anyway, the genealogies that are in uh, this uh, First Chronicles, they kind of just list names. But all of a sudden, there's this one name that stands out with a description. It's like, it's like God gives us a little bit of insight to this man's life. And whenever, the, whenever this happens, it's like almost as if we're being invited to give particular attention to it. It's like God is taking a pen, if you will, and putting a circle around and saying, hey, check this out. Someone um, I once uh, heard, uh, they, well, actually, they, they wrote this. They said that what we're about to read is kind of like an oasis in the wilderness of the dead. And I want us to look at it together. First Chronicles 4. I'm just going to read verses 9 through 10, actually, right there. And we'll just kind of go with it and move with it. It has to do with this man named Jabez. And Jabez, as we're told, Jabez was a more honorable then his brothers, his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand 
would be with me and that you would keep me from evil and that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. And one of the things that stands out to me here is, and the scriptures remind us of this, is that God can do amazing and wonderful things through the broken places of our lives. Even the weak places, the places that we feel deprived in, the places where we may not see them as happy places. They are less than happy places, and they are maybe some of us have struggling places. These are the places where God can do things. God can work. God can heal. Here's something I want to just put up. God is not limited by our lack. That's one of the things Jabez teaches us. Whether it's a lack of talents, abilities, wealth, resource, education, pedigree, um, or things that our culture values, like... Um, Youth or beauty, beauty is very valued, uh, or raw intelligence, the things that the culture places a premium on and it tends to admire. What's encouraging about that, though, is that, you know, Jabez, when we look at what it says about him, he was not born in any prominence at all. He, he wasn't blessed with any distinct, outstanding advantage. There was nothing notable about him. Uh, if anything, if you look at what we just read, he was at the back of the line, not at the front. He was lifted not out of prominence, but if we could see it, more out of obscurity and disadvantage. The reality was that Jabez was a man who was born into an atmosphere of sorrow and pain. His name literally means sorrowful. That's what his name means or he makes sorrowful. It seems to have been a reflection of his mother's physical and emotional state. Look at that in verse 9. You know what? Names in the Old Testament, they had meaning. Even different, like we named our children names. Um, maybe some of us were named after people in the family or a friend or something, or because usually it's because someone liked the name. People, but in the Older Testament especially, they gave names because those names had meaning for either what they were experiencing at the time or what they hoped to see happen. And in Jabez's case, he's given a name, but the name, ah. Oh, I mean, how would we feel if our mother named us, your name is Sorrow? And taken over, I have named you Pain. His mother called him Sorrow. Hear me out. He was born with a stigma. He started out of the gate with a stigma. You know, often where we start defines where we're going, doesn't it? In our culture, many, many people, in our, in our world for that matter, are, are beginning their lives in pain. I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, one of the, the blessings and one of the curses of the, of the Internet and technology is that we see, and, and, and the fact that almost every conceivable thing can be videoed these days is that things are being captured that before maybe they were happening, we weren't aware of it. But it's, it's, it is astonishing to see if we look at it through anything remotely resembling an objective eye, some of the things that human beings do to other human beings and the pain that is inflicted. And I think, I think every now and then something really hits us and it affects us. But increasingly for many, people in the culture, or maybe it's just because we're more aware of it, but I think it's a combination, that many people 
are starting out their early years of their life and they're not good years for them. In some cases, they're actually incredibly painful, that one's earliest years are painful years. And um, it explains, I think, in part, some of the self-destructive things that people, and I need to say this, especially younger people, are doing to themselves. It was, you know, all of my, my kids are now, they're out of college. But it was just a few years back where I remember that a couple of them were in high school here, actually here in the city. Uh, one of them was particularly in a school where they were having an epidemic of suicides among the teenagers. And you would think in this particular place where there was people had means and wealth and such, oh, it was an epidemic. I was reading an article uh, not too long ago by a woman named uh, Susie Schellenberger. She was talking about, she, she talked about uh, something that was happening in the culture. She she called the article Cutting Pain. And it struck me because I really had never been exposed to it before, so I wasn't aware of it. But it hit me when I read it. And uh, she talked about, about a girl named Chava. She said Chava was 15 when she pierced the flesh of her hands and arms with a sewing needle. I was desperate to get my mind off of all the sadness and confusion I was feeling, she says. And part of me was thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this. But the other part of me was grateful I was able to numb the pain on the inside because I was now focusing on a different pain, a physical pain on the outside. The deep emotional pain started when Chava was abused at 11 years old, but the word wasn't abused. I don't know what to do with all that hurt, she continues. I just didn't know. It just wouldn't go away. It kept growing and gnawing at my insides. And as Chava matured, she gained a little weight, which added to her worries. I began to obsess about my weight, and I started throwing up three times times a day. I actually got to the point where eating anything made me physically sick. Unfortunately, Chava learned to juggle an eating disorder and an obsession with cutting herself. Millions of teens are involved in self-destructive behavior. The majority are uh, this, this, the majority are females, but the percentage among males is rising. And it's not simply a North American tragedy. Self-destructive teens live in every part of the world right now. Perhaps you're, you're aware of a student who's involved in self-mutilation. He or she may be known as a cutter. No one simply begins cutting for the fun of it. Someone who cuts herself or commits any self-destructive behavior is trying to cover up a painful experience or is crying, crying for help. In Chava's case, it, it was uh, eating or it, it had to do with an eating disorder, her cutting, you know, they were, it was a product of her deep emotional pain that she was having to walk through. It was an attempt to distract, to relieve, to somehow, um, well, it was almost like a, like a form of sedation, right? A numbing, the pain. But it was real. Now, for some of us, it may not be, like, we, don't, we may not have an eating issue. For other, some, and, and maybe, maybe that's cutting has not even been on our, on our radar screen. Maybe it has. Maybe for others of us, it might be other things, like, like what we turn to, we turn to drugs or we turn to some type of, uh, we, or we drink, we have a drinking issue. 
some of this, some of this pornography. Deeply, deeply devastated by it. I mean, these addictions abound in our culture, and they're what looks initially like a way of solving my pain actually ultimately ends up imprisoning us in our pain, and it's destructive. It can be powerfully destructive. I, you know, our contention as a church is that Christ heals. That's what we talk about all the time. We talk about how Jesus is many things, but one of the things he is for sure is the gentle healer. You know, I found myself, I was going, Lord, it was actually this morning, I was... I was in prayer, I was thinking, there was something on my mind I couldn't get, I was like bothering me. And I just, you know, I just found myself, I just, I just said, Lord, Lord, I, I don't know, I just said, I surrender to your kindness. I surrender to your kindness, right? And that meant two things for me. One part of it was just like, I need to surrender this because I can't get, I just, it's really bugging me, bothering me. And I'm not doing well with it. And then your kindness, it's just something about stating it out. I was thinking about Matthew eleven twenty eight, where Jesus said to me, said, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden. That is, all you who are tired and are bearing so much weight. Come to me and I will give you rest. Some of us might be very tired. We might be feeling emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted. Some of us might be at a point in our lives where we are carrying so much weight. Some of it, and people don't even know it. Some of it's on the inside. Some of it has to do with relationships. Some of it has to do with just stuff we're working through. It's just if that, when Jesus says that, he's inviting us into his rest. What does that even look like? How do I do it? You know, I was thinking about these two things that I was thinking about uh, reflecting on Java's pain and Christ's promise. And I wrote a poem. It's the only way I found I could express myself. I wrote a poem. I said, hey, would you guys put this poem up? I just wrote it. I, I, it kind of reflects something, and I would like to share it with the, with the church. It's called A Poem for the Hurting. Hollow, empty eyes, hurt once more, lonely, lost in the crowd. I am here. I am there. I am nowhere. Does anyone care? Does anyone see me walking by, my struggle, my sorrow, my pain, the pain in my eyes, I am hurt, I am wounded, I am nowhere. Lost and uncertain, wondering why, a little crushed and a little broken. I am hurt, I am wounded, I am nowhere. I look around, look to the sky, but nothing can I see, and no one sees me. God, are you there? I am hurt, I am wounded, I am nowhere. My tears are real, but tightly concealed, unrevealed. I am hurt, I am wounded, I am nowhere. If you listen, the voice of love is calling, calling true and clean. My, my words run, run deep and my blood runs red. My gift to you, I was hurt, I was wounded, I am now here. I don't know, the difference between nowhere and now here is but a little gap in a shifting of a letter. But it makes all the difference. That's the Lord. I am now here. In every place where that wound is, he is there. That's just, a, that's just what he does. Now go back to Jabez for a moment. 
It appears that his birth, if we go back to that, that little, those two little verses, that mini passage, it appears that his birth was a source of exceptional pain for his mother, either because of the birth itself or the circumstances surrounding it. I don't know, I mean, why she called him pain. Why did she name him sorrow? Um, you know, most Hebrews at that time, most people who were Jewish at that time, you know, there was an agrarian culture. Uh, in agrarian culture, it was patriarchal. It was more male-dominated. Uh, you know, there was no governmental assistance programs. If you got old, everything, family meant everything. It, it was huge. Family and community. I mean, that's how you lived when you got old. If you lived long lives, it was because you had people with you that were networking with you in a familial structure, right? To have a son in that kind of a world was a blessing. It meant provision. And for her, in them, for her to, call, to have this, this boy and to call, your name is Jabez, you are, you are a sorrow to me. It's, I wonder how it affected him. Using our language, I wonder if he um, uh, possessed a, a negative um, self-image, like a damaged sense of his worth. I wonder if that's part of the reason that fuels his ambitious nature. Like, I think it was, and I think it did. So what we see is this man born into negativity and sorrow with no apparent unique talents, gifts, any advantage. You know what it says he did? He began to call upon the Lord. Look what it says. And this is the key to me. In faith, by the way. It says he began to call out to the Lord. And I'm going to just put this up as a way of acknowledging it. That if we call out to the Lord in our pain and in our sorrow, in our struggle, you know what we open up ourselves to? We open ourselves up to, the, to dimensions of healing and blessing. It's part of what happens when we, Jabez cried out. He says, oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, Lord, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil. And I don't want to be myself. And I'm going to talk about this next week. I don't want to be a pain bringer. Don't let me cause pain. Enlarge my lands. Lift me out of my situation. Expand my responsibility. Expand my influence. Bless me, Lord. Bless me. This is what we're being told he cries out. It was his prayer. It was his passionate request. It was, it was ambitious. You know, James says this in the third chapter. Actually, it, it's, it's actually Jeremiah 33 where we're given this really wonderful verse. It says that, call to me and I will answer you. And I, like, I love this. It's from the ESV. It says, and, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Think about that. Call to me, call to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and hidden things that you have not. I will reveal things to you. It's like an invitation. What a wonder, do you see what a wonderful, expansive promise that is? You can feel it. It's wide. Call to me. I will open up things to you. But then I take that verse and I balance it out with a verse like in, in the New Testament in James 4 where it says this in James 4, 3, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Can you hear me when I say this? Motives matter to God. Motives matter to God. 
Let them put that up there. Motives matter to God. The why matters to God. The why matters to God. Jesus taught us that the why matters, not just the what, but the why. It means that we're going to have to wrestle with stuff, examine our heart, be honest with God uh, about our motives, not just slap a coat of righteousness over the veneer of self-interest, right? Over a selfish agenda. It's like whitewashing a, a, a fence that's, that's all decayed. I might put some paint on it, but really inside of it, it's rotten. Ever done that before? Like it's all... I don't want to replace it. I'll just put some paint on it, right? You know, Jabez's motives appeared to be at least in part generally connected to a desire to honor God. And it's just, look, at how, look at how he's described in verse 9. It says he's described as being more honorable than his brethren and his peers. The fact that he asked God and that God answered him by moving on his behalf at least tells us in part that, that God interpreted his request as, um, at least in measure, as legitimate. Legitimate enough to be answered in a, in a positive, affirming way. Look what Jesus said, you guys. He said this, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, you shall find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Now, you see the progression from a relatively passive place to one that is more desperate. Do you see it? I ask you. I seek you. I... I now, let me, that's a different degree of pursuing something, right? When we're desperate. Now, I was thinking about this. Here's the question. We'll put it up. How many of our requests for God's help and provision go unanswered because we never ask them? I think, it was, was it Wayne Gretzky? He scored more, had more goals and more points than any player in the history of hockey. They were asking him about it. He said about taking shots. He goes, listen, you miss a, I love this. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. That's a guarantee. You'll miss 100 of the shot we never take. Same thing with prayer. We miss, 100% of the prayers we never make aren't going to get answered. Take the shot. Take the shot. That's the point. Jabez seemed to have a discontentment with the situation. Oh, and by the way, do you see this as well? He didn't, he didn't go walk around and going, I was born, it was an unfair place. My mother, she cursed me from the day of my birth, right? He didn't say, I, why did you let this happen to me, God? It's your fault, right? He didn't, he didn't walk away around blaming God. That's pretty clear here. He doesn't complain. There's no subtle tinge of resentment that somehow, God, you owe me, you owe me. No, his attitude, man, it leans to the positive. If we're unhappy if we've been unfairly treated or, listen, even sinned against. If we've even been sinned against then, or just feel bad about a situation, the worst thing we can do. And I was having this conversation with, with um, someone just a few days ago. I said, the worst thing you can do is to blame God. Now, you know that. I said, don't Make God your enemy. Make God your ally. See, some of us, things don't go right. You know what we do? We go on strike. It's like, I'm on strike, God. You know, yeah, um, you didn't come through for me. You're not coming through for me, so I love you, but um, I'm on strike right now. I'm on strike right now. <laughs> And uh, my attitude's on strike right now. 
and you find someone else, you know, do we have a deal? I love you, you take care of me, right? That's how, I'm on strike. I'm not doing it, I'm not, nope, not so. Can you hear me? Don't, don't go on strike with God. The Lord is, <laughs> he's on our side. When things are melting down or when things are wrong on the inside of me, I don't want, Lord, I'm not going to blame you, Lord. I want you to help me. I need your help. Oh, bless me, oh God. Help me, Lord. Bless me. Help me through this. Show me a way. Give me wisdom. Help me with my weakness. Bring the right people around me. Find a way to get me through this. Show me the path. You make a broad path. Make a path for me. Lord, my eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. See, this is what I'm talking about. What, what Jabez does is he says, God, help me. He says, God, help me. Move on my behalf. God, he's like, he can't change. He cannot change how he starts out in life. He can't change what someone who should have loved him better did to him. He can't change it. Can't change it. What he does, though, is he turns to God, and he says, God, help me. Help me. Bless me. Open it up for me. Heal me in this way. Right? He's, it's like he's crying out. And I, and I was reminded of this, and, I'll, and this is the last thing I'll put up, is this, that God is moved by humility, gratitude, and faith, particularly when we're under duress. In times of difficulty, it may feel like we're forsaken or we've fallen into a hole that we made for ourselves or someone turned on us, whatever it is. In those places, we need to affirm our faith and commitment to the Lord. Affirm it. Everybody can say, I love Jesus when it's always going the way I want it. It's when, it's when, <laughs> it's, do you love me? when I'm not coming through for you the way you want me to. Jabez, you know, I will say this, that we can get very stubborn with God. You know, and I'll say this, hear me out for what it is. Um, there's, a, there's a verse in, I think it's 1 Samuel 15, I think. I think 22. It says, rebellion is, the sin of, is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness like iniquity and idolatry. That's, what the Lord, that's how the Lord categorized it. Oh, be very careful about our pride. God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And some of us need to um, look to him. It's like, I, look, I, look, I love what Jesus modeled right on the cross because on the cross, he does say, he says, look, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, I don't, I, I, I hear it, I hear it. It's like, oh God, why? It's powerful, it's powerful. It's like, where are you? Right, he knows it, he's got the weight on him. It's all part of the plan, but at a human level, he feels it. Where are you? You have turned on me. But then the next breath 
into your hands, I commend my spirit. It's like he, he models for us what we do. I give you my, pl- I place my trust in you in the place of my question and in my pain. I place my trust in, into your hands. I commend my spirit. Some of us need to, need to just remember that in our season, in our pain, in our season of discontent, our winter of our discontent, the season of our hardship, we trust him. We place it in his hand, ah, in our confusion, in our sorrow, in the struggle. Some of us need to ask for open doors and faith then to step through them. Others of us need to ask for courage so that we don't let fear start dominating our lives. Others of us need to ask for humility because honestly, our real problem is our pride. <sighs> pride has made us blind was that, that uh, uh, song is in the back of my head somewhere. Blessed is the man who knows his need. Blessed is the one who knows how to plead. For in his pleading, he will find that his pride has made him blind. And by asking, the door is open wide. I think in the end, though, most of us just need to know we're loved by a God who will not give up on us. He wants to take our sorrow and turn it into a song. I was telling someone, well, I was sharing, I said, there are wounds. But he wants to do is he wants to take the wound and get the infection out of it. And then it becomes a scar. It'll never not be a scar. But it's a scar that reminds us of his grace and how he heals. He's the wounded healer who makes us wounded healers. So here's what we're going to do. The, the way I would like to invite us to consider it, working with me toward the end of this service. And by the way, after service, if some of you feel like there's just something that you want to pray, have prayed for, or you want to just feel like, I got to have, we'll have a couple of pastors in a, on the side in the connection area. If anybody wants, just get some prayer for something. But here's how it's going to go. We're going to have our time of giving, which is what I know more of us are giving now these days online and through the app. I get that. But we still have, have this time of giving that we do for those who don't. We're going to have a quick time of giving. And then while that's happening, we're going to show some announcements that are co- of what's coming up in the month. Don't allow that to move you too far away from where we've been because we're going to come back around from that And we have this song that we're closing with. And here's the thing. In the song, it's very powerful. Um, I was, it's it's actually not in your handout, but it's called, I Won't Let You Go. And there's certain lines in the song that, this morning, actually, I'll be honest, I I was listening to it as they were getting ready to, to bless us with it. The band was preparing. And there was a part where, like, I, I started crying. And there was one line that just totally stood out to me. It's like I, I maybe crying. I, I could tell my eyes couldn't contain my feelings. And there was this one spot where I felt where it says, you want peace. There's a line that says, you want peace, but there's war in your head. You want peace, but there's war in your head. It's like the one who brings peace to our troubled waters. I'm going to pray. I pray the fruit dimensions of healing to come, whatever area. Some of us might, our worst enemies might be ourselves. 
Others it might be someone we love is just really hurting us. Bad. Stuff we try to move forward with in the Lord. God's the healer. He's good. You're in the right place. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for you to just bless this closing time that we're about to share together. Pray that you would spark faith in us for what you can do. I thank you that you're the life giver, not the life taker. It's all that you've done. It's all that you've been. It's all that you still do. Let your life work in us, God. Dimensions and ways that we can't even imagine it sometimes. I thank you even sometimes for the struggling places where we find your grace to be so powerful in the place of our wounded pride and in the struggle of our heart. It forces our eyes on you while our knees are bowed because we can't do it. Who is the great and powerful one, the one who can be real and open to you or the one who guards themselves and never reveals the heart? Help us to be as you would have us to be. Help us to be safe in the greatness that you modeled, the vulnerability of Jesus. Bless our time, bless these minutes, bless what we're about to close with. In Jesus' name I ask it, amen, amen.